will go on everybody welcome to my very first podcast oh, i'm excited i'm excited i'm excited so the name of this podcast is going to be called a crime that now this is going to be an opinionated crime podcast now the opinions in this are going to be mine and if i do decide to bring in a guest it's going to be of mine and my guest however I just wanted to bring this to you guys. And before we move forward, let me just let you guys know a little bit about me. And let me introduce myself. Hi, how you doing? How you doing? Anyhow, I know for the friends that are going to be watching this, I know they're in their head going to be like, what? I am hyper. I am bubbly and all that good lovely stuff but i am so into crime shows like i will always tell people like i swear if somebody was to like really go through my youtube history i they're gonna be confused because five things are gonna be on there fashion crime jump rope celebrity drama and pimple popping videos they gonna be like, what is going? What is what's wrong with this child? What's what's wrong with this child? Anyhow, I said all this, and I didn't even tell you guys my name. My name is Candace Court, but you guys can also call me Candace, which is how you pronounce my name in Guyana. So I go by all of the above. Anyhow, I am truly a true crime fanatic, and I felt like I didn't really see a melanin representation throughout the search, and there might be. And if you are, comment, say hi, let's join up. But I really am super into crime shows, and I just wanted to give my opinions and my take on it as we go forward. So, that being said, let's get started, okay? Now, I'm going to tell you guys... I just said, let's get started, but let me back up. Um, there's times that I might pronounce stuff the wrong way. Please don't take it the wrong way. That's just how I am. I do that in regular, regular, regular life. So all my friends will tell you guys, but I just want to give you guys a warning. And as I mentioned before, these are my opinion. This is how it is. I'm going to give you guys my research and then through it, I'm going to just interject my opinion in this process. As I mentioned, I wanted to describe to you guys why I call the show A Crime That. And what is what I want you guys to be able to do is drop adjectives and all that stuff in the, in the bottom just to put it or drop how you feel like this should have been titled or, you know, let's, let's get that going. Um, so this episode, I'm going to be calling it a crime that hit home. Let's talk about the Jonestown Massacre. Now, the Jonestown Massacre did happen in Guyana. So before I get to that part, let's back it up a little bit. And let's talk about Jim Jones. Now, not the rapper, actually Jim Jones. Now, Jim Jones was born in Indiana. Have him tell it based on the story, not have him tell it, he did now. Um, but based on the stories that we've heard, um, Jim Jones always talk about him being a poor guy who was raised at the wrong side of the tracks. Well, I recently heard that he was not so poor. His mom was head of a union or something like that. However, she was like the breadwinner of the family. Um, but he wasn't poor as he, others around him was. Now, Jim Jones, um, 
I'm going to start with his life. Jim Jones went to a Pentecostal church. And I'm not quite sure you guys are familiar with a Pentecostal church. It's very lively. The preachers are loud. They're in your face. And they're always, you know, I'm not going to go there. But they're in your face. And they're, they're very energetic when they talk. And you literally feel yourself being carried there. Um, but for some people who are not used to it, can be taken back you know, in the beginning, but when they see it there or go through the process, it, most people end up being comfortable. Anyhow, so Jim Jones went to a church um, and fell in love with the whole Pentecostal vibe um, back then because he liked how passionate the the preachers were. And he liked the fact, and I, I personally believe one of the things he fell in love with from doing these research was the respect that the pastors will get. That was something that he wanted. He liked that admiration that the congregation will feel towards the pastors. So he started to do his preachings, but he opened up um, his own church called the People's Temple. This was back in 1955. Now he opened this church up in Indiana and it was a small congregation. I've heard people talk about, you know, the time that they found out about it, it was only about 81 or so members, um, but then it kept growing. But one of the things that attracted people to that church was because he spoke about all the ism, mainly racism and capitalism. He spoke out against them. He wanted to unify the race. He wanted to assist in the, in the process of the civil rights movement. Um, as you know, that movement started around or got somewhere around 1954. He started the church in 1955. Just keep that all in mind. Now, Jim Jones was one of the ones that, you know, as I mentioned, he was energetic. He was loud. He was charismatic. People were drawn into him. And especially the fact that, you know, he will put on such a front, like people will go and there'll be like soup kitchen set up. Like people were into that. One of the things he did when he would broadcast his show was he, like I mentioned, he spoke so highly about this integration of races that he would literally sit people in the pew of the church, black, white, black, white, black, white. And when people will come in and they will see that, they will be like, whoa, this is what I've been looking for. They like the unity. However, that didn't last too long. He had some defectors and some of the defectors that went out there, you know, spoke about everything. They, um, one of the women I'm looking down here, I wrote down her name. I think I left it over there, but I think it was Teresa Cobbs. She was one of the women that spoke out against, you know, Jim Jones when she defected because she talked about the fact that everything looked like nice and rosy on the outside looking in but this man didn't truly believe in this integration she said you know you will see it but when it comes to the key peoples the higher ups within his organization within his church they were all white sound familiar oh okay i digress let me fall back so 
Anyhow, there was a lot of, like I said, he started this church in 1955, People's Temple in Indiana, but a lot of people were complaining about the abuse that was going on in this church, like, and it would be abuse um, both mentally, um, both physically, there was even... Um, a couple of like i tell you guys you gotta do your googles this thing will take you into a whole wormhole but there was even a video not it was both it was a video but you didn't see him interacting the people who were talking but you listen you literally hear him cursing somebody out telling them to come up here and you hear him beating the crap out of this man in front of the church congregation let me just say that he was beating him and he was just like, how dare you tell this person we didn't have this and we didn't have that. And as he was beating him, he was like, oh, he came up here. He was black. and <laughs> Now he's blue. Oh, the white person beat him. Oh, he just took a lot for a 70. Oh, man, for a 70 year old man, he done took a lot. And in the midst of him doing that, you hear the most creep oh oh you hear the creepiest laugh that you will ever hear through this process he was giggling he was giggling this man was disgusting so after he had these defectors you know, they were right into the Congress. They were right into everybody. They were in hiding for a long time. But this one woman, Teresa Cobb, she was just like, listen, I've been hiding for years. I ain't finna hide no more. Well, you know she had some melon. She's like, I'm not hiding no more. You can come after me all you want, but this is this ain't it. But that didn't really do much um, because there were other defectors that pop out too, but it really didn't do much. But it did put a... Uh, a microscope a little bit on Jim Jones and the People's Temple. Now, as I mentioned, he was talking about um, capitalism and all this stuff. But one of the things that he was very much into is like he had this unexplained fear of a nuclear holocaust. The, um, uh, sorry, a nuclear, um, yeah, holocaust that he felt that was going to happen um, for some way, shape or form. We don't know where he got it, but I guess because of all the things that were going on with like the civil rights and all that stuff, like he was just scared. So what he said, and he read in some magazine that a certain part of California was the best place to move. But let me back up with this. Before Jim Jones moved to California, he actually traveled to Brazil and was preaching out there. And he was looking for, you know, a place to build in Brazil, which a lot of people didn't realize that this man, before he go anywhere else, he was trying to go outside of the country, but that didn't happen. So he ended up moving to California and he packed up his church. And I think at that time when he moved, he had about a hundred members and they all got in a van and they said it was several days trip, but it was nice, you know, to move. Now, let me back up. I'm doing a lot of backing up, but let me back up and talk a, a little bit about Jim Jones who before he moved. One of the things that Jim Jones did um, that brought a lot of recognition to him 
was the fact that he was the first Caucasian man to adopt a black child in Indiana. And not only did he adopt a black child in Indiana, he named him Jim Jones, Jr. Now, overall, Jim Jones had about nine kids and they called them the Rainbow Family because he had a black kid, he had two Korean kids, and then he had a son that he actually, I think Stephen was his son that he actually was from his wife. Um, but pretty much everybody else was adopted or like tapped on the shoulder. I don't know what he was doing, but he adopted all these kids and he packed all of them up and they moved on to California. So there's a couple of videos of Jim Jones while he was in California and the way he was living, but he wanted more members. So what he will do, he will go on these trips to build out his church and he will rent and his church grew a lot once he started doing this ground like he will travel to different areas but he will travel in these greyhound buses and one of the reasons that people felt that he used these greyhound buses was because of the fact that he could bring other people back like he told people how great of the life they was he will convince older people to like you know, sell their homes and give the money to the church because they can live on the church land because he had senior citizen homes and all that stuff. He literally put in one video that the senior citizen homes were immaculate. Everything was brand new. And he said, all my furniture and everything was old. I lived in a shack, but you guys can live amazing, which was not true. But these people would do this because of the fact they saw this unity. Now, you weren't allowed to speak out and, uh, about Jim Jones. Matter of fact, members weren't allowed to speak to each other because he didn't want nobody getting out the fact that he was abusing and doing all this stuff. Like Jim Jones had this setup where people were just fearful of him. He was losing it towards that end. So um, in the 1970s, so this started in 1955. Now we're hitting 1970s at this point. He became extra, extra paranoid. And I, from my research, it's come out that he became that way because he started doing drugs. But, and he started to let the, the fame or whatever you want to call it that he was having get to his head. Not only was he using drugs and being very abusive, there was a lot of sexual abuse on, at the People's Temple, both in Indiana and in California. And Jim Jones, well, he went from the pulpit and told people that he was the only, he was the only heterosexual human being on the planet Earth. Everybody else was homosexual. He would literally, he was like, he said it. Like there's, I think he was like, I, we, I will live with a man. I will live with a woman. I will live with a method. I will live with whoever I need to lay with to get the message across basically. And he was just like, he would downgrade women. He would say like, you women complain about all this stuff, but all you got to do is lay there. Like I'm the one that's working all night long. Like, he was a hot mess.com, this man. But he still had his followers. So, needless to say, for 
at this point when he was in California, starting to question him a lot because he literally started to throw away the whole religion of Christianity. He started to use this term flyaway religion and literally trying to like demonstrate this in a way by throwing a Bible across the, um, the congregation and this is the time where he started to talk about you need to call me father you need to call me like i'm your god like i am the one that you should be worshiping and these people were so like into him that they just accepted it i don't know what was going on but they just accepted it point the people's temple was growing exponentially like he had probably about a thousand members um when it got to like the early 1970s and like i mentioned before he would get this by going to different cities preaching in the cities and bringing people back on a bus he also started to get um, a little bit political like he would meet up with people um, like if people were running for party they would reach out to him and he because he had such a loyal member group he would send like 300 people to go at a protest and people this was like this was this was like ice cream on a Sunday morning to anyone who was running in politics because they had a made-in support group and these people will come into they will come on time they will be super energetic they will be everything that they needed. He is so not you know racial or whatever the case may be, but. His black son, the guy, Jim Jones, he did an interview. He was like, yo, he will refer to me as my adopted black son. What? Like, this is your son, bro. You adopted him. He's not your adopted black son. Like, he wanted that that praise as my grandmother say self praise is no recognition so we know what he wanted but that's what he wanted he wanted people to know and be like oh my god he is so good like he adopted a black kid anyhow let me move on jim jones before he decided um to up and move to guyana he before he even knew he wanted to move to Guyana, he was looking elsewhere. He was trying to find places that he can escape this nuclear war that he thought was going to happen. But also, away from authorities, away from anyone who can, like, say anything to him, basically. Because he didn't want to have to answer to anyone. So, years before he moved, he started billing out Jonestown, Guyana. But it was called the Jonestown Agricultural Project. Now he was... So let me give you guys some other insight uh, from the other side. No one in Guyana, unless you lived in the uh, quarantine, knew that Jonestown even exists. Now this was in the jungles in Guyana. Nobody lived there. It took several days to get to there because of the fact that you had to, there wasn't like a straight road there. Like this wasn't a populated town. This was straight, like you had to go into the river, take you take, be on a boat for like two days and then take a truck for like a couple of hours. This was in the jungle, mind you. Now, one of the reasons that he picked Guyana is because 
On the continent of South America, we're the only English-speaking country. Now, he wasn't trying to learn another language. Although he was looking in Brazil, he wasn't trying to learn another language. And he wanted to also hone in on the whole racial integration that he was trying to do. Guyana was populated by Blacks and Indians. There were so many black people there. He was just like, and he loved the fact that Burnham was president, who's a black man. So that's what he was saying. He was like, I'm going to a country with black people, with a black president. Like he would utilize those statements, like with a black president that got his congregation, the members who are black, who are into this integration, like, oh, they got a whole black president. So yeah, that's why they went to Guyana. And Burnham, we're not going to talk about what he was doing. But they made a deal with him for him to lease this land. He didn't buy it. He leased the land. But in the same way, he was going to be paying money to the government. That's one of the reasons why he was taking money from all these people and telling them to give give up stuff because he had also had to pay Burnham for the land in Guyana and he also had this big big ass house in Georgetown Guyana as well so he had two different set of living now this place this Jonestown that this man built a lot of Guyanese people we didn't know nothing about it and also this place is only set to whole probably about a hundred to i think they topped it off they kept building it out but they built it out to the point where it should only have held and this is what he said to burnham president burnham was that this is supposed to only be about 300 to 500 people so that's where the land was populated to fit i'll leave that there in 1976, doing a church service, you know, there was a few people there, not everybody there, but Jim decided to give every, off of all his followers wine. And they were excited because they was like, we never had wine, we never had juice, this is something nice, like what are we celebrating? So they're all drinking this wine, and as they're drinking this wine, everyone is having a good time and they're happy about it. So 15 minutes later, Jim Jones literally turned to everyone and said, just so you guys know that you guys all drank poison and you guys are going to be dying. Everyone was freaking out. Well, a lot of people were freaking out. Some people were crying. Like you hear all of this in the documentary. Like this is not stuff that is made up. You guys do your Googles. You're going to see it. Like this man did this. And then 10 minutes later, he starts laughing and saying, I was just kidding. I was just testing your loyalty. Now, say that again? You, you were just doing what? Like, what? So, he was saying that he was just testing your lawyer. A lot of, like, the defectors and the survivors are saying, like, I don't understand how you're testing our loyalty. And we've been showing you that we've been loyal because we, we barely eat. We barely sleep. We make sure we work for this congregation. Like, what do you, we're loyal. Like, what's going on? But a lot of people on hindsight was like, no, that was just a practice run that he was trying. 
anyhow so there was this crazy news article that was about to be published talking about everything that was going on at the people's temple and jim jones was trying to talk the public the the writer of this news article to retract the story and they weren't so it was about to be published in like the next three days Jim Jones turned around after he got off the phone. Like he made the news reporter read this entire article on the phone with him before it was published. So right before it was published, maybe right after he got off the phone, he like literally made everybody pack up and move to Guyana. Now, he's in the land of Guyana. Now, if you see the video, like I mentioned to you guys, like it's a big jungle. Like they literally had to like burn acres of um, of trees down to like create it. But they did an impressive job. But these people were working 20 hours a day with only two, one and a half hours of sleep, barely any food just to make this thing happen. But while that he was in Guyana, Everyone became aware of the fact that he was really, really high on drugs throughout the whole thing. Like his preachings became very much uh, slurs. Like you heard videos where he's literally sounding like, I should have played with my hair. He's literally sounding like he's mumbling. Like no one knew or understood what he was trying to say. But this was what was going on there. The abuse was still there. Um, the fact that people, he would send these videos back home to let people know like they're living a bell of roses. But you could just look at these videos and you can see like there must have been somebody's cue card and these people know that they couldn't speak out about it. But how is this paradise? How is this socialite paradise where like he was shunning people from leaving? Some people were able to go in and out, but he was really not letting anyone leave like he had armed guards around and in my head i'm like that's how you know a big corruption corruption was going on in guyana because it's like how are you getting these guns like they were flying into tamari airport there was nowhere if you was getting these guns through customs from america to guyana but he was getting these guns in anyway so while in guyana there were people who escaped um, and then there were people, the people who were flying back and forth, they were, you know, telling about the condition and writing into the government. And there were a lot of people who were unable to get in contact with like their husbands, their wives, like there weren't any phones back then. There wasn't Twitter, there wasn't, we were talking about 1970, like there was nothing back then. But one of the things, so yeah, so people were complaining about not being able to, so Jim, so Jim Jones was in Guyana. There were people who were trying to leave. He was not allowing anyone to leave. However, the people that were going back and forth or had to go into Georgetown, they were getting word back to the United States, letting people know that they were unhappy. They wanted to go. They were, and because of the fact that they were doing this, there's a congressman that looked into it um congressman ryan and said you know let me go see for myself now this congressman was the type that got like truly involved in like different issues like for example i know um i read somewhere that 
he heard about a prison being you know horrible and abusing people he ended up spending a whole week in the prison just to see what they were going through so this was a guy that was like you know what i'm gonna go out there and check it out so he went to georgetown guyana he went to visit the house that some of his kids were staying at due to them being at a basketball game so they were in georgetown guyana because he was closer to georgetown guyana he went to visit them just to talk to them and stuff and he had this woman there who um was one of his true followers that was not trying to like hear anything from the congressman but anyway he went so congressman bryant ended up showing up in jonestown now Jim Jones didn't want him there, but he knew he kind of had to have him go be there. So what he did was he called this meeting the night before he let people know that this, this man is coming just to see who you guys are. You got to make sure that you guys are in the best behaviors. Like he's also going to have people set in like he's going to put like decoils in decoy in there so they pretend like they're talking to them and if you don't tell them you'll be in trouble so he was setting these people up to make sure like no one said what they don't need to say and if you see somebody talking to these people you have to report that now everybody had to be dressed in their in like their their finest outfits and they had to look happy say nice things and all that stuff so when congressman ryan came the first night like it looked amazing. People were singing, people were dancing, people were having an amazing time. Um, and the Congress even made a speech. He was like, you know, I've been hearing a lot of things, but based on what I'm seeing, I see like a lot of you guys are like at the happiest place in your life. Like you guys are here and having an amazing time. And this, so everyone is having a good time and like clapping and cheering, like letting the congressman know like, yes, I'm here. I want to stay here. This place is the best place in earth. When the interviewers, because he came with a crew, when the interviewers would go there and try to interview people, they would tell him like they're super happy. They don't want to leave and nothing like that. However, there were quite a few people. There was this guy, his name was Vernon. He dropped, uh, I don't remember his last name. Vernon Knight. I don't remember his last name. But according to like a couple of documentaries I've seen, Vernon was one of the guys who um who dropped, who gave the camera crew a note to say like he wants to leave and he doesn't want to stay. And while he was trying to give him the note, he dropped. He dropped the note and the kid saw him and the kid was like, he passed in the note. So the guy picked up the note, Vernon picked up the note and Vernon gave it to the guy like, hey, you dropped this. Like pretending the guy dropped the note. But there was another person as well that passed the note. So two people passed the note that night. So while the congressman was there, the guy, the guy passed, Vernon passed the note to one of the reporters that was there but he dropped the note because he was so nervous like i would be freaking nervous too now so he dropped the note and he picked the note up and while he picked the note up this little tattletale little kid was there talking about he passed the note he passed the note and the little kid snitched uh vernon so vernon tried to play it off like he told the reporter hey you dropped this 
So the reporter read the note and saw what he had to say and then had a conversation with the congressman and they found him and they asked him, you know, like what's going on. He told them, but he was basically like, yo, we need to leave tonight. Like, and he was just like, don't worry. You have the full U.S., you know, behind you. And he was just looking at Vernon like, Vernon's looking at him like, bro, you don't know what this man is capable of. I've been living here forever. Like, we need to leave tonight. So they didn't leave that night. He was trying to go around and figure out who else wanted to leave. So he found a couple people because there was another person who left the note. She doesn't have a name. No one. I can find that out there. So that other person that left the note and then some other people he walked up to. And on camera, there's one woman. She looked petrified. She looked so scared. Like, I want to go home. Like, I'm not trying to have no parts of this place. Now, they was just trying to get why. She's just like, I'm trying to go home to the U.S., all that stuff. So, at this point, Jim Jones, word has been gotten back to Jim Jones. And he is livid. Like, he is pissed. He wants out. He wants them out. He does not want them there. So he literally told them, like, these people are lying. Like, if they want to leave, they can leave. Like, I don't care. These people are lying. But I need you to leave us alone. Like, I need you guys to leave us alone. And this famous conversation, I need you guys to watch it. So make sure you Google and watch this video. He's sitting there in his red shirt. And he's with his sunglasses, like... These people are lying. They don't know what they're talking about. They can go. Blah, blah. At the end of it, the next morning, 15 people um, were we saying that they wanted to leave. The guy, Vernon, that gave him the note was also leaving his son behind. So one of the things that Jim Jones used within this interview was like, if this place was so bad, why would he be leaving his son? Like, please explain this to me. And he couldn't explain it. And the guy said, Vernon said, it's one of his biggest regrets. But he thought that things would be better for his son because his son was black. And he didn't think that bringing his son to America, having a black son in America would be wise. He always planned on coming back for his son. Um, and it's been his biggest regret. Anyhow, so they're getting ready to leave and the congressman turned back to Jim Jones. He was like, listen, everybody else here, you have hundreds of people here that are super happy and want to stay with you. These are only 15 people that want to leave. Like, it's no big deal. Like, let me let them go. And in that moment of talking, somebody attacked the congressman with a knife and a couple of people that he was with that was next to him, like, got him off of them. So... Anyhow, they leave. The congressman decided after that happened, let's jump on this. Let me go along. We don't need no more drama. Let's leave. So in the form of them leaving, they're going. And there's two planes on the tarmac. So some people are getting into one plane and some people are getting into the next. Um, and in the process of doing that, there were some people, let's just say some people got into the plane on the right side and there's a plane on the left side. While they were even, before they even got to the air, air strip or whatever it's called, there were people that were sitting there telling them like, there's this one guy here that he's too close to Jim Jones. Like, we don't believe him. 
Like, I don't think he's defected. I think he's just here. And they're telling them this. But the congressman's like, no, he saw the errors is where he want to leave. He want to leave just like you. So they kept going with this, with, with um, the ops on the plane. The whole ops is on the plane. So they kept going. Anyhow, they get on the plane. And like I said, there's one on the left and one on the right. So they're getting on the plane. And as they're getting on the plane, they see this big tractor trailer truck with like a truck bed coming towards them. But like the truck bed is flat. So they're... <sighs> this shit is crazy. Whew. So they see this, this truck coming and this thing is circling them. And then once it's circled them one time, it just stopped. And in the midst of it stopping, people are boarding the plane, and not everybody's on the plane yet. And Vernon said he got on the plane, which is crazy because I, I hear multiple stories, and some people say this is not true. But anyway, this tractor trailer, and there's like a truck bed that's there. These people jump out of it and started shooting like wildfire, and a congressman along with other people got hit okay so while that's happening the other people like they yeah they, they come they open wildfire gunshots went out there was a cameraman who was holding the camera the camera is still up and he literally he's dead but he's recording these shots that are happening to the people around them and he literally the person who was responsible for the shooter literally walk up to the cameraman, although he's dead, they were still putting fatal, extra fatal shots in, the, in these people because of the fact that they're there to kill. Now, this one plane, the pilot and everything on this plane uh, died because they were shot and everybody who was trying to get up there was shot. Vernon was able to run into the bush and escape along with a couple of other people. Now, According to, this is some insight that I got from people in Guyana. The other plane on the right, Shawnee flew up. He flew with the doors and everything open. He got out of there. Um, so they flew away, but I heard rumors that there was also the person who was the ops that was on that plane who tried to kill the pilot, but they wrestled him out and got him down because they caught him. Um, but my aunt, well, I was told via my aunt that the pilot was telling the story, but he never mentioned that part. So there's conflicting stories there, but the pilot did agree that he flew the plane with the doors open until they got in the air and was able to force that door closed because of the fact that they saw or heard the gunshot so that's that's the insight that i have on that portion of it anyway so whilst this is happening finally the people who killed the uh like the congressman and stuff they went back to jim jones and let them know that he's dead so once he was found out that he's dead he made the announcement to the congregation and then they he started a preaching saying like, you know, we all have to die. We had our time on this earth. So so Jim Jones decided, and this is where that saying, don't drink the Kool-Aid or drinking the Kool-Aid came from because he decided to mix a purple drink along with, and with cyanide and give 
over 900 people to drink okay and the people who fought that he was then forcefully injecting them with this formula now this is women kids men like these are like over 400 freaking kids died because of this maniac trying to live this fantasy that only he has in his head so oh this junk drives me insane this drives me insane uh this drives me insane let me breathe for a second Like you heard in the tapes with him telling people because these people were crying. These people were crying for their kids. They're like, let's save the kids. Let's not murder the kids. Like we'll all do it. Like leave the kids. He literally said on the tape, you hear him say, die with a degree of dignity. And this drives me insane so this happened and like i said over 400 kids die um jim jones jim jones punk ass died from a gunshot wound and he didn't shoot his he didn't shoot himself someone else shot him because the gun was found so far away from his body that there was no way that he shot himself okay that it wasn't a self-inflicted wound. Like, that's a flapping rumor. It's not a self-inflicted wound. Somebody shot him, okay? So, Jim Jones died. And there were people who were hiding in there that came out and saw it. But the fact that he tells people to die with dignity, but he wasn't one of the ones to drink the Kool-Aid. He was even walking around asking the people if they could make the Kool-Aid tastes better now let me back up i keep saying kool-aid but that's a rumor like the truth is it wasn't even kool-aid it was literally cyanide and a little bit of purple drink they got kool-aid because of a video he posted earlier that said oh the kool-aid is here and they just ran with a thing like he made people drink kool-aid they did not drink kool-aid and not everybody died from ingestion of the cyanide poison they were forcing people to actually like would inject it in their arms like this is how they were killing people like you know how many needles they found on that place and the crazy thing was so many people dying that november 18 is when this happened november 19 was when the guyanese police force and the army went on there when they first looked they flew over i'm getting chills just thinking about this because this shit is just insane because but when they flew over to see that, they thought it was only 300 to 400 people, but there was literally bodies underneath bodies there. Like, that junk was insane. I, I can't. I'm pissed. So, the numbers are constricted they will say at the end of the day it's over 900 people the last count i heard was 904 um but if you go and you get a different source but it was 904 but last week when i looked it was said 914 either way over 900 people were murdered in guyana not mass suicide murdered these people didn't want to do this they had to do this 
He forced them to do this. His was mind control, okay? Mind freaking control. And you can't, even if you say the people who drink the poison wanted to do it, what about the people who were injected? What four-year-old, what newborn baby would want to commit? They can't speak for themselves. That's not suicide. That is murder. He is a mass murderer. Let me fall back. At the end of the day, these people all lost their life on behest of a person who was insane that they, I feel like they should have stopped a long time ago. I didn't, I don't feel like he should have been even able to come to Guyana. Like they should have stopped him. But I digress. One of the things, and that for everybody that, want to know more about it i encourage you to go in there that's why i get offended when people say but oh don't drink the kool-aid don't say that shit around me like i get pissed off like i don't want you to say that around me um but it's not one it's not true and the saying is just whack because if you know where it came from you won't be using it you know what i mean people lost their lives at this thing like this is not a joking matter anyhow one of the things um that i want to encourage you guys to do is just read about it um and just see what it's like watch a video and just actually see what this guy did like he is a flapping monster was a monster is a monster whatever um one of the things i found interesting later on is finding out like nobody that's within the family changed their names like and another thing that i found out like a few of his sons survived because they were not in georgetown they were in georgetown while the massacre was happening one of the things though that affected me was um jim jones called his son jim jones jr and said to him i need you to come back and he was just like why and he said the word fraser now fraser was a code word that they use to let them know that this is they need to kill themselves. So there were other people that were out um, that he called to have that was in Georgetown. He called to have them kill themselves. And there was a woman who was staying in a house in Georgetown with two kids, a teenage daughter herself, and they the mother murdered those two kids and then the older daughter and the mother murdered each other that is the type of control that that flapping man had over these people like that's insane and the son jim jones jr was actually out at a basketball game when he got this phone call like i said the code word for mass murderer was fraser one of the reasons why i was affected by it i was like yo that's my family's last name like what are you talking about this was your code word so all of that was just dumb um however i also have an aunt that worked at the airport during this time and she told me how crazy it was for her and how it affected her to the point where she couldn't go in the back area anymore at her job because that's where they had all the bodies that they were bringing up to America. And she said that they landed a, 
a, a plane in Guyana that was like completely refrigerated type plane where they had to like put all the dead bodies in and fly it back to America. That is, that's tough. That's a tough thing. Um, and it affected her a lot. She was just like, it was hard for me to like, like knowing that this was happening and like that was kind of like the aftermath of it is when majority of the Guyanese people know that it was even like a Jonestown like they, they weren't aware of this like fully like the outskirts of where he were was was because that's where he'll try to go recruit people to come back but like people that are like ingrained in Georgetown they were unaware that this was this cult that was back home and for those of people who are like, you know, it's a cult. I don't get why people join a cult. People don't join cults. People join movements. People join for that family, that love. There's something about it that they fall in love with. They don't start an organization be like, you know, I'm about to go put my name on this cult application. Like, that's not where it's at. So we need to take that into consideration. Anyway, I want you guys to do your Googles, look this up. But I'm your host, Kendace. Thank you guys for watching. I appreciate you guys. Make sure you subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend, share the video, and let me know what you think. Episode of A Crime That Hit Home.